0: All right, everybody. We're here for the UFC Nashville UFC Fight Night: Sandhagen versus Font. Rob Font stepping in on short notice to take on, I believe, the number three ranked, number four ranked bantamweight contender in the division. It was originally set to be Umar Nurmagomedov going up against Corey Sandhagen, and. Umar got injured, that fight had to get scrapped, but the next best option, I think, is Font versus Sandhagen, and I actually think it's a lot more competitive of a fight than people are giving Rob Font credit for, but we'll get there. Once we get to the main event breakdown, it takes place at the Bridgestone Arena in Nashville, Tennessee, Um, and we're just going to get it going. Last week had a great week, 9-2 overall on picks. We missed the Priscilla Quechuera pick. Um... But, you know, it's women's MMA for you. I, I would side with the underdog. But I don't know if I'd ever pr- pick Priscilla again. And then I picked Marcos Rogério de Lima. But I said, like, betting-wise, leading up to the card, I actually changed my tone a bit. And I said, betting-wise, I would pick Derek Lewis because the odds were getting so heavy in the favor of de Lima. And look, what do you know? He comes out and hits a flying knee. Basically, the heavyweight version of Askren versus Mosvidal and knocks him out in 30 seconds. But let's get it started in this card. Uh, we'll start with Ode Osborne versus Asu Almabayev. I didn't know who Almabaev was before this card. I didn't know a whole lot about him. And we know what we're going to get from Ode Osborne. He has good grappling. He has good takedowns, good wrestling. We saw him use some of that grappling and takedown specialty in the fight against Charles Johnson, where he won that fight via split decision. I had bets on Charles Johnson that night, so I wasn't too happy about it. I think a lot of people thought that, charles johnson won that fight but you know it is what it is Odey osborne likes to use his range he likes to use his length to keep opponents at bay he likes to throw those long front kicks up the middle jabs one twos you know switching his stances here and there but it's a lot of front kicks jabs and crosses he wants to keep you away from him so anything that's a long distance rangy strike That's what he's going to keep in your face and try to get you out of there with. He has knockout power. He has finishing ability. He has grappling. But going up against Asu Almabayev, I know you can't always use the eye test to break down these fighters who haven't been inside of the UFC. But from what I see from Almabayev, man, I think he's pretty good. And I think he can handle a guy like O'Day. And I think he can do it dominantly. I think he has the better wrestling. I think he can control O'Day if it hits the mat. He's got good body locks, good trips, good throws. Uh, once it hits the mat, he has good ground and pound, good submission ability. Um, on the feet, he uses the the quintessential Dagestani style of, you know, striking. He kind of uses that lead hand, you know, changes levels with the lead hand, kind of uses it in a circular motion. And he's popping that jab, popping that jab, jab left hook, jab left hook, right hand. And he's going to be constantly moving, circling off to that rear side, trying to get over the lead jab of the opponent in Osborne. And, you know, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time breaking this down, but from what I see, I think the finishing upside is all on the side of Almabaev. I think that he's a good betting piece for this week, but I also can understand that if you haven't seen a guy like this in the UFC before, you might think we're getting a Hussein Askabov style of fighter where he's coming into the UFC 25-0, but he opened up as a minus 125 favorite against... Uh, Jamal Emers and Jamal Emers ended up winning that fight and doing so pretty dominantly, and he he kind of got fraud checked. So if you think we're gonna get a fraud checked from El Mabaev, or if you think he's going to get fraud checked, I I should say. Then I think maybe that the side to bet on is Ode Osborne. If you aren't believing in the skills of Al but from what I've seen, he's got good jujitsu good striking. He's comfortable on the feet. It's not like if you throw at him, he can't sit there and trade with you. He's got power as well. So I don't think O'Day is going to really want to entertain like being overconfident in the striking aspect of the fight. So I would say that the power is on the side of El The submission upside is on the side of El The wrestling is all on the side of El I think the distance striking and the range striking is on the side of O'Day. But being so concerned about the wrestling takedowns, the grappling upside and the submission attempts from Almabaev is going to make Ode a little bit hesitant. And I think he might try to point fight a little too much. And you're going to see Almabaev use those bigger shots to close the distance and eventually take down Ode Osborne and get a submission. I'm going to go with Asu Almabayev to defeat Ode Osborne via second round submission. But again, it's a fight where I'm not like supremely confident in this one because you don't know what he's going to look like when he gets under those big lights. But at the same time, I think the better and more skilled fighter is Almabayev, in my opinion. But again, take that with a grain of salt because, you know, you don't know. You could be wrong there. But we'll look at the betting lines for this fight real quick before we move on to the next one. Almabayev right now is almost a 2-1 favorite, minus favorite, minus 192. Um, I think the under 2.5 might be the best play on this one because I think I I bet on Almabayev in a three-leg parlay, and we'll talk about the other legs in a little bit, but early on, um, I think he was like minus 140, minus 150 when I got him, and now he's all the way up to minus 192, so the money's coming in on the UFC newcomer, but the under two-and-a-half rounds is minus 120. I could see this fight finishing inside the distance, and I actually favor it too because I think he gets the submission. Does Bayev? I think minus 120 for the under two-and-a-half is a very, very good bet. So I would say that if you're looking to play, I would play the under two and a half and then take Amabaya on the money line. But if you're worried about it, um, maybe just take the unders because I think that probably hits for this weekend. All right, up next, Cody Durden, the number 13 ranked flyweight going up against Jake Hadley. Um, I love everything about Jake Hadley in this spot. I'm going to be honest. I think Jake Hadley is a guy. Who has a lot of trouble with the wrestling and going up against a guy in Cody Durden, who's that all American wrestling style, all get in your face, take you down over and over and over again. That is something that you have to worry about. And we could get into a situation where Hadley continues to get taken down over and over, tries to work off of his back, but can't get anything going. And he just gets stuck from the bottom position with Cody Durden holding position and winning minutes on the clock. If Cody Durden wins this fight, I only see him winning by being able to take down Jake Hadley consistently and win the minutes on the clock. And we saw that happen against Jake Hadley, or with Jake Hadley, against a guy named Alan Nascimento, who trains alongside uh, Charles Dobrons Olivera, And he got taken down and controlled for, I think, 9 to 10 minutes out of a 15-minute fight. So you might sit there and say, well, why are you going to side with Hadley then against a guy like Durden, if you know that Durden's game plan is going to be to take him down. I'm going to side with him because I think Nascimento was a little bit more well-rounded and defensively responsible on the feet, even though we didn't see a whole lot of striking. And I think that Cody Durden is so wild with his wrestling and takedown attempts and his takedown entries that he's going to leave his neck out there for something. And Jake Cadley has a very, very good guillotine choke and he's defended takedown attempts using that guillotine choke, forcing the opponent to spin out of it and then give up a dominant top position. I think that Cody Durden is very solid with the offensive wrestling when he's the one shooting the takedowns getting the opponents to the ground and taking them into the place where he wants to be. But if he gets into those scramble attempts, if he gets into wild submission attempts, I think he will give up position to be able to get out of those subs, which in turn is going to allow Hadley to be able to use his scrambling game. Hadley is good off of his back. He just is a little bit too comfortable there. And I think that's why a lot of people are siding with dirt and because of the comfortability he has once the fight hits the mat from his back. He's very good with the rubber guard series or high Guard series. He'll go from the rubber guard to mission. Well, mission control and the rubber guard is pretty much the same thing. But he'll go rubber guard to go go plata to Plata to arm bar, and he kind of just chains attempts together. He'll go guard uh, to body triangle from the bottom. He's he, he he basically does it like this, and this is what I see. He'll go to the guard. He'll body triangle from the bottom, which is a terrible position because it's completely defensive, but he stays in there for under 10 seconds. Then he'll go to the rubber guard or mission control. He'll use that to transition to the go-go plata, you know, try to put that shin under your neck, or he'll transition it to the plata and potentially look to get a sweep. He's very active off of his back. He does land ground and pound some elbows, some hammer fists off of his back. And yes, if he gives up takedowns consistently and can't get up to his feet, then Cody Durden's going to win this fight. But if the fight stays on the feet, the more defensive and offensive fighter is Jake Hadley. The more technical striker is Jake Hadley. The man with the higher finishing upside. The man with the more technical striking is Jake Hadley. And with that, paired with the fact that Hadley isn't a novice off of his back, he just gets a little too comfortable. I think he's going to be active off of his back, active from his guard here. I think he's going to look to chain or uh, change positions. And yes, he's going to get taken down. I can guarantee you with 100% certainty that Cody Durden's going to take him down in this fight. But I think Cody Durden's gonna get himself caught in a scramble. And I can actually see Jake Hadley being the guy who submits Cody Durden because when you shoot with those wrestling heavy style of takedowns a lot of the times you're shooting with a double leg or a single leg, and you're gonna if you double leg, you're keeping your head up and they call it eyes to the skies. When you double leg with that head on the outside, you're leaving your neck there for a guillotine. We saw Hadley use it against Nascimento We've seen him get submissions in his UFC career before. And I think Durden's gonna be there for the guillotine. Cause if you go and watch the fight against Mohamed Mokhayev. He got flying kneed and then immediately got guillotine choked. But it was basically a ninja choke more than a guillotine choke where he locked it up kind of like a D'Arce and an Anaconda and just cranked on it and got the submission. But I really like Jake Hadley in this spot. I, I honestly do. I think Jake Hadley is the more well-rounded fighter. I think he's the more technical fighter. I think he has the higher finishing upside. And although Durden's going to have the American wrestling takedown ability I think the activity off the back from Hadley um, the submission threat and the ability for him to even hunt submissions of his own I think he's the much better side in this fight so I'm going to take Jake Hadley at a minus 192 Um, I could see Hadley inside the distance and I think if you're playing Hadley you would probably want to play him inside the distance because if it goes to decision and Hadley's active off of his back but Durden Um, gets more takedowns and top control time. Lately, they've been going with the more active fighters, more than the people who just maintain position but don't do too much of it. Look at Alex Pereira and Jan Blachowicz from last weekend. Um, But I like Jake Hadley in this spot, and I like Jake Hadley from the betting side as well. So give me Jake Hadley to defeat Cody Durden via a, I'll go second round guillotine choke. I think he catches his neck and submits him, and I think a lot of people may disagree with me on that. But it doesn't matter because they disagreed last week too, sucker. All right, next up, Jeremiah Wells versus Carlston Harris. Um, Listen, Jeremiah Wells is the more powerful striker. Jeremiah Wells has the bigger knockout upside. He's training out of Gracie Philly with guys like Sean Brady, guys like um, Pat Sabatini. He's the, uh, Joe Piper, I think is from Gracie Philly as well. Cause Brady and Piper or er, uh, Brady and Pfeiffer have that body bags podcast, which is actually pretty good. If you haven't listened to it, go look at Sean Brady and Joe Pfeiffer's podcast, but Jeremiah Wells, this is uh, I believe Southpaw versus Orthodox. I think Carlston Harris is the Orthodox fighter. We know Jeremiah Wells is Southpaw, but, um, he's very, very powerful and he's not terrible on the feet. Um, The sharper to more technical striker in this matchup is going to be Carlston Harris. He is the more technical guy. He's the guy who's going to be using the long range strikes, who's going to be using his jab, using his right hand, using the straight punches. And he uses his length, distance and range a lot better than Jeremiah Wells. But Jeremiah Wells is going to be able to get in on the hips of Carlston Harris, try to take him down constantly look for those takedowns if the striking isn't working. And he has that equalizer where even if Carlston Harris is the more powerful puncher, even if Carlston Harris, not more powerful puncher, but more technical striker, even if he's better off at range, he's better off with the kicks to the body, the high kicks, the low kicks and the one twos, uh, the three, two and the one, two from Carlston Harris are very good. He finds very solid opportunities to land that right hand off of his jab and he knows how to use his length. And that's going to be a problem against a guy in jeremiah wells or a problem for jeremiah wells i should say who's going to be at a three inch height disadvantage along with a two inch reach disadvantage so if this fight stays on the outside if it stays at distance then carlston harris probably picks apart jeremiah wells as long as he can avoid the big power in the punches of wells and that's a big ask because the guy can be losing the entire fight and then land a big shot and drop you and hurt you. I think a lot of people were on the side of Warley Elves when Elves fought Jeremiah Wells. And Wells, just when he started cracking him, that was it. I mean, he cracked him so hard, knocked him out. Um, Well, hurt him and rocked him before he knocked him out. But Jeremiah Wells has that power. And I know a lot of people are going to say he's sloppy. He's not the best. Um, you know, in terms of technical ability, he kind of loops his punches, wings his punches, big overhands, big hooks, and you would be right. And that's why I would say in this fight, I give the technical advantage to Carlston Harris, but he's not terrible with his footwork. And I think that's where people make the mistake. He, he may not look the best in terms of actual technical striking, but when it comes to To his actual like footwork movement, lateral movement, in and out movement, he's pretty good with the lateral movement, the in and out footwork, and being able to circle away, you know, sidestep, circle, in and out. He's very good with that, and I think that that's something that you have to look at with Jeremiah Wells. And I think he's the he's going to be a lot stronger inside the clinch but being at a height disadvantage a lot of the times it's going to make it easier for the opponent to shoot the double legs the single legs and the trip takedowns aren't really going to work as well against the taller opponent but he also has to look out for the fact that if he shoots those takedowns there is that possibility that Harris locks up that guillotine choke and can submit him if he shoots a bad takedown um you look at the win percentages for both guys uh Carlston Harris has about a 60, 58% finishing rate. Uh, Jeremiah Wells has a 75% finishing rate. 41% of the fights go to decision for Harris, 25% for Jeremiah Wells. So Wells is more of a kill or be killed fighter. Average fight time, 6 minutes, 41 seconds for Jeremiah Wells, 6 minutes, 10 seconds for Carlston Harris. Uh, knockdowns per 15 minute fight, 1.12 for Wells, 0.61 for Harris. So the more powerful striker, the, the fighter with the bigger finishing upside is Wells, but Wells can get hit. Wells can get caught and he does leave his chin there. And with the long rangey one twos of Carlston Harris, the long rangey boxing, I could definitely see Jeremiah Wells trying to crash the pocket and getting clipped and getting hurt like he did in the Semmelsberger fight, which may force him to resort to the wrestling and the takedowns. I think this is a very close fight. I think this is a very competitive fight. But if I'm going to side with somebody, I would probably have to side with Jeremiah Wells because I think he has the power advantage, and I think he has that wrestling advantage. And I think the wrestling and grappling advantage is the thing that's going to make the biggest difference in this fight. I think the takedowns are going to be there. The top control is going to be there. But the submission threat is there from Harris as well. I mean, Harris did fight. Uh, Shavkat Rachmanov, he lost via that spinning wheel kick, but he still had a competitive fight in the beginning. At least, I believe. I mean, as competitive as you would expect. Uh, one, minus 165 for Wells, plus 140 for Carlston Harris. I'm going to go with Jeremiah Wells to get this fight done. I think he TKO's Carlston Harris, but this is a fight I don't like the betting side. I don't really like betting on this fight at all. Like, there's there's nothing I like about this fight, except maybe the under- And I don't know what the under is in this fight. Uh, The under 2.5 is minus 190. I think that's probably the best bet for Wells and Harris is the fight doesn't go the distance. Because I think either Harris keeps it at a distance, uses his long-rangey strikes the teep kicks the one twos and is able to catch Jeremiah Wells stepping in with a big shot because he does have power in the boxing combinations that he throws or Wells lands a big shot and knocks out Carlston Harris or drops him And then locks up a sub. But I'm going to go with Jeremiah Wells via second round TKO. Um, I don't love the fight from a betting perspective. It's not one I would be telling you to rush to the window or rush to the sports book to bet on. But if I was going to give you the best bet overall for this fight, I'd probably say under 2.5 rounds at a minus 190 on DraftKings. All right. Up next, we've got Kyler Phillips going up against Hyone Barcelos. Uh, We'll look at the odds before we break it down. Kyler Phillips, a minus 198, Hyone Barcelos plus 164. Um, I actually expected Kyler Phillips to be a bigger favorite. And I think he opened up with a little bit of a bigger favorite and money came in on the side of Hyone Barcelos. Um, Barcelos is always a solid play as an underdog, but lately in his career, he just hasn't looked the same. He got that win over Trevin Giles, which I think everybody expected him to. I know people thought that Giles might be able to not, or not Trevin Giles, Trevin Jones. Oh my God, my bad. Uh, you can clip that one, but Trevin Jones. He he got that win over Trevin Jones, but Jones just isn't active enough. And that's a fighter that's always gonna lose to a guy like Barcelos, who moves very well laterally, moves in and out, uses good one-twos, uses good pull counters. The pull twos very good. Jab, left hook, right low kick. One-two, left hook, right low kick. Jab, hook to the body, hook up top to the head one two slip come back with the counter right hand he reminds me a lot of a jose aldo where he can use his wrestling offensively he has good wrestling he has good top control good control from the top if he gets those takedowns but the bread and butter is the, the striking the in and out footwork the low kicks mixing up the combinations very tie style heavy good hand speed good kick speed very well-rounded and technical fighter hyoni barcelos however has had a little bit of a rough patch in his career. Yeah, he won against Trevin Jones, but if you look at some of his other fights, he just got knocked out by Umar Nurmagomedov the last time he was in the cage. He fainted the knee up the middle and then landed a little short left hook, I think. It was either a left or a right hook. He landed that hook, caught Barcelos on the chin, and knocked him out cold. It wasn't a TKO. It was a clean KO, and that is definitely worrisome going into this fight against Kyler Phillips. He got knocked out in, let's see, four minutes, 40 seconds into round one. He got knocked out, uh, just a faint knee to a hook, caught Barcelos. He wasn't expecting it. Bang, knocked him out cold. Before that, he had the decision win over Trevin Jones. He lost to Victor Henry via decision. And then before that, he had a decision loss to Timor Valiev, but I think a lot of people thought Barcelos won that fight. Um, Kyler Phillips is coming off that suspension. He tested positive for Osterine, um, a steroid. And, you know, you never know what a guy's going to look like coming back off of a steroid suspension. But that's why I think this fight is very tricky when it comes to the betting side. If you're looking to bet it, I think it's very hard to really pick a bet in this fight. I think Kyler Phillips is the more explosive fighter. I think Kyler Phillips is the more well-rounded fighter. I think Kyler Phillips is... Potentially the faster fighter, I think that the way he moves in and out, his lateral movement, his in and out footwork, um, if he steps into range and starts landing his combinations, um, I think he can hurt Barcelos, and we saw Barcelos get KO'd by Umar, so you know you do have to take that into consideration, Um, but the faster kicker, I would say the better low kicker is Barcelos, but with the high kicks, the spinning wheel kicks, the spinning kicks to the body, um, you know, Kyler Phillips is a problem, and I think he's going to be a big problem for Barcelos here. I guess if it goes technical point fighting style, that maybe Barcelos can get Kyler Phillips tired, being able to avoid all the explosive strikes, the takedowns, the wrestling in the first round, and then start to slow him down in the second and bank the second and third rounds and get a a win via decision, because Kyler Phillips is so explosive. He's so fast. He's so in and out with his footwork. He's always moving, always moving. Um, everything he throws is big power, spinning kicks to the body, wheel kicks, uh, roundhouse kicks. Everything this guy throws is fast, powerful, and explosive. And with those guys who have that much explosivity, um, they have problems keeping their cardio up. And I think Barcelos is a guy who can keep that cardio up as long as he can survive early. And maybe he can bank that third round and make it a very close fight that could go to a decision. But I don't like Barcelos just based on the fact that he got knocked out in that last fight. Um... He got picked apart by Victor Henry, and I see a lot of similarities between Victor Henry and Kyler Phillips, but I give the power upside. I think uh, Kyler Phillips is like a Victor Henry with better footwork and more power, and if you're giving me that type of a fight, I think that Hayoni Barcelos loses this fight. I think that the power of Kyler Phillips is going to be a lot, but Kyler Phillips is there to get hit. Um, He does get hit a lot. Ten and two, Kyler Phillips, seventeen and four for Barcelos. So experience advantage on the side of Barcelos, but Barcelos isn't the same guy that he was before. Um, significant strikes: five point five for Phillips, five point six nine for Barcelos. Forty nine percent accuracy for Phillips, fifty two percent accuracy for Barcelos. Three point four three strikes azor per minute for Phillips to five point zero six for Barcelos. So Barcelos basically lands as many strikes as he gets hit with. Um, Kyler Phillips absorbs like almost two less strikes. No, pretty much he absorbs two fewer strikes than he dishes out. Barcelos takes 0.61 more strikes than he dishes out. So the better defensive fighter is definitely Kyler Phillips. And I think defense is going to play a big factor. Even though on the defensive stat, it says 61% defense for both guys. um, I definitely think that the better defensive fighter overall is Kyler Phillips. 3.32 takedowns per 15-minute fight for Phillips, 1.63 for Barcelos. But if Barcelos gets those takedowns, he's able to control the opponent from the top position, and I think that's the biggest difference. Maybe Phillips shoots more takedowns and gets more takedowns, but Barcelos knows when to shoot them and knows how to control the opponent, like we saw in the Trevin Jones fight. Uh, 50% takedown accuracy for Phillips, 41% accuracy for Ioni Barcelos, 69% takedown defense for Phillips, 93% takedown defense for Barcelos. Barcelos stops the takedowns of Phillips and is able to keep it in kickboxing range. I still don't think it's going to be the easiest fight, Uh, but you got to take into consideration we haven't seen Phillips since the beginning of 2022. So, you know, over a year away from the game, how much different is he going to be coming back off that steroid suspension? Um, I think Phillips is faster. I think Phillips is more explosive. I think he has the better footwork. I think he has the better counter-wrestling, but I would say Barcelos has the better overall takedowns in wrestling. I think Barcelos is better controlling from the top position if he does get those takedowns. Um, I think Phillips is a little bit more unpredictable, or actually he's a lot more unpredictable, but the basics can win fights against those guys who are unpredictable. I think this fight is kind of 50-50, but I just think the odds are like this because Barcelos got knocked out um, because of the performance he had against Victor Henry. I think that's why the odds are so heavily in the favorite and in, in the favor of Phillips and make him, you know, a 2 to 1 favorite. I think at the highest you should have Phillips uh, minus 140, minus 150, Barcelos plus 120, plus 130. I think there is a decent chance that Barcelos wins this fight, but I think I have to side with the Matrix. I think I have to side with Kyler Phillips. I love his footwork. I love his in-and-out movement. And a lot of people forget he dominated, dominated Song Yedong, who, yes, lost to Corey Sandhagen, but just knocked out um, Ricky Simone in a pretty one-sided fight. I mean, every time he was landing his combinations, he was knocking him out. And Kyler Phillips, in-and-out, good counter takedown, slipping, rolling, uh, good head kicks, spinning kicks to the body. I mean, he was piecing up. Song Yadong, And I think he can do the same here. You just have to think of how much of a different Kyler Phillips are we going to get going into this fight since he's coming off that steroid suspension. But give me Kyler Phillips. I just can't side with Barcelos at this point. I know I picked him against Umar. Or I think I picked Umar, but I bet on Barcelos um, because of the odds. And that went south very quickly. But uh, I'm going to go with Kyler Phillips. I just think he's better With his footwork, I think he's better with counter-wrestling. I think his speed is going to be a big problem for Barcelos. Even though Barcelos is fast, I think Phillips is faster and has more explosivity with his strikes, the kicks, the spinning kicks, the wheel kicks. He's more unpredictable, and sometimes the basics can win the fights against those unpredictable fighters, but I don't think it happens here. So give me Kyler Phillips to defeat Hyone Barcelos via a... I'll go decision. We'll go Kyler Phillips via decision. Minus 198 for Phillips on the money line, plus 150, plus 160 for Barcelos. But give me Kyler Phillips to win this fight via decision. Not a fight I love betting on, though. I'll tell you that. All right. We'll move on to the next fight in the featherweight division between Billy Q, Billy Quarantillo, going up against Damon the Leech. Jackson. I'm going to be honest. I see a lot of love on Damon Jackson in this fight because of his jiu-jitsu, because of his submission ability, because of his wrestling. They think that Billy Q is going to get taken down, controlled from the top and just overall grounded and pounded, grinded out and eventually subbed or just lose a decision. And I definitely think that can happen because we've seen Billy Q does not have the best takedown defense. He's never had the best takedown defense. He defends 58% of the takedowns. So, basically, uh, he gets taken down like one out of three times. If an opponent shoots three takedowns, he gets taken down pretty much one out of three. Um, And... You know, that is a problem against a guy in Damon Jackson who's going to look for those takedowns, who's going to look to scramble with you, who's going to look to get the top position, look to work to your back, look to get his hooks in, look to get you in a rear naked choke, look to control you from the top, ground and pound you, look to lock up an arm triangle. He's a very solid jujitsu jitsu artist, and I do think Billy Q has to mind his P's and Q's if the fight goes to the mat. But Damon Jackson only has a 38% takedown accuracy. He averages about 2.5 takedowns per 15-minute fight compared to Billy Q shooting around 1.5. So it's pretty much one extra takedown per 15-minute fight for Damon Jackson. So he's the more active wrestler. But he's more accurate in the takedown attempts, but Billy Q doesn't really shoot takedowns to get them. He shoots them to kind of offset his opponent and then get back to range, get back on the pressure, get back on the striking, and just be able to outstrike his opponents. I don't love the fact that Billy Q gets taken down a lot. But at the same time, I think Billy Q should roll in this fight. I'm gonna be honest. I think anytime this fight stays on the feet, Billy Q picks apart and hurts Damon Jackson. Um, this the only way Damon Jackson wins this fight is with constant takedowns, consistent takedowns, consistent control, and being able to submit Billy Q. But Billy Q has never been submitted in the UFC. Um, I, I don't even know if he's ever been submitted in his entire career. But I don't see Damon Jackson submitting Billy Q. I think if anybody could, it probably would be a guy like Damon Jackson. But I don't see him submitting him. I really don't. I The only way I see Jackson winning this fight is via decision. If he's just able to control from the top and win rounds based on positional control. But the damage, the striking, the footwork, the forward pressure, that's all on the side of Billy Q. He goes jab lead hook, rear uppercut, jab, level change uppercuts. I think the level change uppercuts and knees from Billy Quarantillo are going to be paramount in this fight against Jackson, who's going to be looking to shoot those takedowns. But sometimes he doesn't shoot them traditionally. He'll go to the body lock and try to work like trips, inside trips, outside trips, or chain wrestle takedown attempts together to eventually just get you off balance and take you down. But Um, Billy Q is going to outstrike Damon Jackson. Damon Jackson doesn't like to get hit. Yeah, he caught Pat Sabatini with that front kick and then knocked him out. But honestly, I think that was a fluke. I I just think that was just a good time shot. He caught him, took him down, and then grounded and pounded him. Good shot from Damon Jackson. But Damon Jackson's not a good striker. He has a decent right hand over the jab of his opponent, like he'll probably catch Billy Q with. Um, But at the same time, I, I just see Billy Q piecing up Damon Jackson on the feet and breaking him under the pressure. 7.86 strikes landed per minute for Billy Q to 2.78 for Damon Jackson. So you're basically looking at eight strikes landed per minute for Quarantio to three strikes landed per minute for Damon Jackson. That's a five strike advantage per minute. Significant strike accuracy. Not only does Billy Q land more, he's more accurate. 58% significant strike accuracy to 40% accuracy for Damon Jackson. Uh, he also takes a lot more strikes though. So Damon Jackson's better defensively. Um, Billy Q gets hit a lot more, but Billy Q is going to be the far more dangerous fighter on the feet. He absorbs 5.79 strikes a minute, cons- you know compared to 7.86 strikes that he lands per minute. But Damon Jackson only absorbs 2.92. He actually absorbs more strikes ever so slightly than he lands, but 2.78 strikes landed per minute. So the activity is much higher on the side of Billy Q. The strikes absorbed per minute is much bigger on the side of Billy Q. But he likes to get into those wars. He likes to pressure forward on his opponents. And that forward pressure is what got him caught against Edson Barbosa as he went to jab or left hook over the over top to the head and shoot the takedown but got caught with that knee right up the middle and knocked out on the entry. Um, I picked against Quarantillo in the fight against Barbosa because I just knew the technical striking, the power, the crispness, the defense was all on the side of Barbosa. And in this fight, I think it's the complete opposite. I think Billy Q rolls here. I think he outstrikes strikes Damon Jackson. I think he hurts him a lot. I think Billy Q does get taken down, but I don't see Damon Jackson submitting him. And even if he does get taken down, I kind of see Billy Q just working his way back up to the feet. I think he gets that jab in his face. Jab, left hook, right uppercut. One, two, jab, hook, overhand right overhand right lead uppercut jab left hook rear uppercut front kicks um, inside and outside low kick switch stance jab cross switch to the right hook straight left the the combinations the power the danger factor on the feet is going to be too much for Damon Jackson who you know doesn't absorb too many strikes but doesn't like to get hit and doesn't have the output that's going to really scare off Billy Q from t- you know taking that forward pressure approach. I think he pieces up Damon Jackson. I think Jackson might get one or two takedowns, but for the most part Billy Q is going to be on a roll here and he's going to piece up Damon Jackson and eventually get a TKO finish. I'm going to go with Billy Billy Q Corinto Corinto to defeat Damon the Leech Jackson via a second round TKO finish I think he's just too dangerous too powerful and has too many weapons for Damon Jackson you do have to worry about the wrestling but I think Billy Q can get away from it here and he's one of my parlay pieces I talked about Jake Hadley earlier Billy Q is another parlay piece for me for me Quarantillo and Hadley in a parlay is a good play for this weekend Billy Q minus 170 I honestly think that's a gift Um, I know a ton of people are on the underdog in Damon Jackson um, I just can't be, man. He He's never really impressed me. He gets hit way too much for my liking against a guy as dangerous as Billy Q. Yeah, the wrestling can work, but at the same time, I just don't see it happening. So give me Billy Quarantillo to defeat Damon Jackson via second round TKO um, at a minus 192 favorite. All right, up next, we've got a fight in the UFC lightweight division that's going to open up the main card for us in a battle between the Chilean but the Chicago native and Ignacio Bajamondes going up against Ludovic Klein. Klein versus Bahamondes is a good fight. It's a dangerous fight for both guys, um, but I really like Bajamondes in this fight against Klein here, and I'll explain why. Ludovic Klein is a very technical striker. He's very good moving on the outside. He's very good using his distance, controlling, check right hook. Got a beautiful left head kick that he lands all the time. And if that lands on the chin of he can get or he can knock him out. I definitely believe if he lands that head kick on Baja it's going to be a problem. It's going to be the power and explosiveness of Ludovic Klein versus the speed, footwork, and technique. Of because the more well-rounded fighter and the fighter who has more weapons that he's bringing to the table, has more cards that he's bringing to his blackjack game is Ignacio Bajamondes. He's got a lot better footwork. He constantly changes stances between southpaw and orthodox. Basically off of every half, half step or double step, he'll switch his stance. So he'll move left. He'll go orthodox, one, two, switch south paw as he moves right. Switch back orthodox. Switch south paw left body kick. Switch orthodox jab left hook, right low kick, lead head kick, one, two, three. He's gonna have the much higher activity on the feet. But I think Ludovic Klein has the big power advantage. He's gonna have that ability to close that distance and land. Big heavy left kicks to the body. Big heavy left head kicks. And since he's a south going up against the guy who changes stances, If he's orthodox, he's going to want to get that outside foot positioning so he can find the trajectory for that power back kick to the head, to the body. But if he's changing stances so much, it's going to be harder for a guy like Klein to find the openings. It's going to be harder for a guy like Klein to really be able to track down Baja Mondes. And I think that's what makes the biggest difference here. I think his ability to track down Baja Mondes is not going to be there and I think Baja Mondes is going to have that height and reach advantage I mean he's sitting at like a seven inch height advantage and a three inch reach advantage he's going to be able to use his distance his length to keep Ludovic Klein away and be able to back away from the big powerful explosive shots now the left body kicks a problem the straight left, the check right hook, the check right hook to the left body kick. If he's an orthodox in Bahamondes, is going to be a problem for him, and that is something that he's going to want to look out for. Um, I think a lot of people might come into this fight and look at the grappling of Ludovic Klein, who shoots 1.22 takedowns per 15-minute fight. And yeah, uh, Bahamondes lost to a guy in John MacDessie. He got outstruck. He got taken down, I believe, a bunch of times. I don't remember completely, but I know he did lose to the UFC veteran in John Mcdessey So, you do have to take that with a grain of salt, but Bahamondis has looked good. I mean, he got that spinning wheel kick knockout against Roosevelt Roberts. He picked apart Trey Ogden, won that fight decisively and dominantly, even though he wasn't able to finish him. Good body kicks, um, good low kicks, You know, cons- consistently switching stances, not allowing for Trey Ogden to develop a rhythm or catch his rhythm and timing, and he looked great in that fight. I think Bahamodis has a lot to offer this lightweight division. I think that this guy is very, very well-rounded. He's got a lot of weapons on the feet. He uses his distance and range, constantly changing stances so the opponents can't get a read on him to set up their combinations. Um, He defends, let's see, his striking defense uh, isn't the best, but he lands a lot more than he takes. 7.93 strikes landed per minute, and he absorbs 4.51 Ludovic Klein, on the other hand, lands 3.44, so the activity, like we said, is on the side of Baja Mondes, but he absorbs 3.67, so he takes a little bit more than he gives, and I don't love love that against a guy in Baja Mondes. Does Klein have the ability to land a big left body kick and hurt him to the body? Yes. A big left head kick and knock him out? Yes. A big overhand left, a big straight down the middle and catch Baja Mondes? Yes, absolutely. Klein is a very technical kickboxer. He's got a lot of power on the feet, but the you know, intangibles, the eye test, and the and the um, optics, that all goes to the side of Bahamutis. He's longer, he's rangier, he mixes up his game better, he uses those stance changes to offset his opponent, he's constantly changing his angles, changing his stances, finding pathways to land his kicks to the body, the low kicks, the head kicks, and he just has a lot more to offer on the feet, paired with the, the you know, natural gifts of the height and reach advantage that he's going to have in this fight. Um, And I really, really like Ignacio Bajamondes here, but I don't love betting on him just because of the power that Klein possesses. If he is able to close that distance and land a big overhand left or land a big left head kick, a big shot to the body, um, I think he can hurt a guy like Bajamondes, but I don't think he's going to find the the pathways to land that big power shot that's going to put away a guy like Bajamondes. I think Bajamondes sticks that jab in his face, right low kick, left body kick, Switch southpaw, left kick to the body, front kicks up the middle, one twos, constantly moving, constantly changing stances, and he's going to dance his way to a victory in this fight. Give me Ignacio Bajamondes to defeat Ludovic Klein via 29 28 unanimous decision. Actually, we'll go 30 27. I think it's going to be a good showing for Bajamondes. So give me 30 27 unanimous decision for Ignacio Bajamondes against Ludovic Klein. All right, moving up the card, we've got a battle in the featherweight division in a fight that I've been looking forward to since it was announced in a battle between the newly, I guess it's not a debut anymore, but the highly touted prospect in Diego Lopez coming off of that loss, but very competitive fight against the top-ranked featherweight and undefeated Movsar Evloyev coming in with a record of 21-6 Going up against the returning Gavin Govna Tucker from Montreal, Canada. I believe he's from Montreal. Training out of TriStar Gym. And coming off of that knockout loss to Dan Ige in the first round. In a fight where I actually picked Gavin Tucker to win that fight back in 2021. Um, I think Tucker versus Lopez is an extremely competitive matchup. I'm going to be honest. I lost my train of thought there for a second, but I think that this is a very highly contested fight. And I think that this is a fight that a lot of people coming in off the performance from Lopez against Ivloyev are going to load up on Diego Lopez, especially considering he's only around a minus 145 favorite. I can understand that. He had a great performance, even though he lost, he threatened with an arm bar early in the first round, almost got it threatened with a knee bar. Uh, twice in that third round and almost submitted Movsar Ivoyev, but he was able to, you know, stay composed. And it was tight. It was a very tight leg lock. And he caught Ivloyev on the feet early. Diego Lopez has good striking. He's got good technical Muay Thai. That's how what I see Diego Lopez. It's light on the front leg, walking forward, good counter right hand. One two, one, two, three, really solid right low kicks. And I think going up against the southpaw. In Gavin Tucker, he's going to be looking to chop that right low kick to the body, the inside low kick, and the left hook. The right kick to the body, the left hook, the jab, left hook, right kick to the body, the right head kick like you saw with Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje. Those are all going to be weapons that Lopez is going to be using. And I would give the wrestling advantage in this fight to Gavin Tucker, but based off of the dangerous jiu-jitsu that Lopez possesses, it's going to be a little bit harder for him to really rely on those takedowns. We've seen him use those takedowns in wrestling against Billy Quarantillo where he was able to win that fight based on his out striking and out grappling. He was constantly taking down Billy Q, constantly getting in the top position, you know, Continuously taking him down and controlling him. Counter takedowns, offensive takedowns, defensive takedowns, which would be a counter takedown more than a defensive takedown. But Tucker has really solid grappling. But with the jiu jitsu that Lopez possesses off of his back, his ability to throw up triangles, omoplatas, arm bars, uh, playing the Ashigarami game, going for leg locks, and, and things like that, I think that it makes the wrestling aspect of the fight a lot more difficult for. Gavin Tucker to implement in his game plan overall. And you also have to look at the fact that he's on a really long layoff at this point. The last time we saw Gavin Tucker in the octagon was against Dan Ege when he lost in the first round. But let's see. Um 2021, correct? Yeah, it was back in March of 2021. So it's over two years. Since we've seen Tucker inside the octagon, he was supposed to return in 2022 against Pat Sabatini, which I think that would have been a very technical matchup. Um, I would have given the grappling advantage to Sabatini, but on the feet, man, Gavin Tucker is an extremely technical fighter. And I would say, based off of what I've seen from both guys, the more technical and sharper striker, in my opinion, is Gavin Tucker. But Tucker's 38 years old now. He's been off for two years. He's fought Let's see how many times in the last um, four or five years since 2017, we'll go back from 2017. He's fought one, two, three, four, five. Uh, Let's see. I think six times since 2017 so 2017 to 2023 he's basically fought once a year if you just add it up with how it's been going and you know he's not the most active he's getting older now Uh, 37 years old, Diego Lopez is, is a hot prospect. He's very dangerous. He's dangerous on the feet. He's dangerous on the mat. I would say that the bigger finishing upside in this fight and the higher ability to finish the fight is going to be on the side of Diego Lopez. He has good power in his striking, really good low kicks. I think the inside low kicks against the southpaw in Tucker can cause some issues for... Him, if Lopez attacks those calf kicks, I think that the left body kick, the left straight, the right hook, um, the outside foot positioning battle is going to be the biggest weapons. And I think the smarter fighter, in my opinion, is Gavin Tucker. If he can implement a game plan, if he can stick to his game plan, he's very sharp on the feet. He's very good defensively, but he does get hit. Um, we've seen him get dropped in multiple fights. He got dropped by Justin Dane, Justin Janes with a stance-shifting uppercut. Um, he got knocked out by Dan Ige with the first punch he threw, pretty much, the first right hand that he threw, he caught him on the chin and knocked him out cold. It wasn't like a TKO. I mean, he was out. So you do have to worry about the durability. And with him fighting, you know, so inconsistently, I think that you do have to be worried. But at the same time, you know, a lot of people thought the same thing when. Veronica Hardy came back and fought Juliana Miller Miller was like a four to one favorite and macedo had been gone for i think four or five years three four years somewhere around there and she wasn't successful prior to her you know stepping away from the octagon and she fought like a completely different fighter and she looked great and she dominated from the opening belt to the end of the fight i think that we could see a similar situation here i think a lot of people are sleeping on a guy like gavin tucker i think the smart pick based on activity based on what we've seen based on optics and the eye test the smart pick is Diego Lopez inside the distance because he has the finishing upside because he has the better jujitsu, but I'm not so sure he has the better wrestling. And I think that the wrestling of Gavin Tucker paired with his stance changing combinations, his footwork, his movement, his ability to set up counters. He's got a very good front kick or teep to the body, the straight left, the right hook, the jab, right hook, left body kick, the inside low kicks. I think that he can mix it up a little bit better than Lopez on the feet, but I do think the power advantage is on the side of Lopez. So it really comes down to – Do you expect the fight to finish inside the distance? If you're expecting a finish by either sub or KO, you would probably want to side with Lopez because I don't see Gavin Tucker being able to finish a guy like Lopez. However, if the fight goes to a decision, if it goes over 15 minutes, if it goes all three rounds, I would venture to say that Tucker's probably outlanding, outstriking, and just outfighting a guy like Diego Lopez, landing the cleaner shots, landing the better counters, avoiding the big huge, powerful shots of Lopez, being able to avoid the submission attempts, and he probably is going to win on the scorecards. Because if you look at Movsar Evloev and Diego Lopez, he rocked Evloev with a right hand over the top. Um, he caught him in a knee bar, almost caught him in an arm bar. But aside from those big moments where he had the bigger moments of the fight, he didn't he didn't win the fight on a minute to minute basis he won the fight based off having the bigger moments so it's it's do you favor the bigger moments of diego lopez or do you favor the more well-rounded fighter who's had Been pretty inactive in his UFC career, but always performed very well in the majority of his fights, aside from losing a decision to Ricky Glenn where he got dominated, knocked down multiple times, um, out-wrestled, I believe. I don't remember that fight completely, but we've seen him get dropped by Justin James. Uh, We saw him get knocked out by Dan Ige, but that was really before the fight got started. He just caught him cold. And I don't know how that fight would have gone if it went the full distance or if it was able to even complete a full round, round and a half, because I favored Dan or uh, Gavin Tucker to be the more technical fighter, to have the more well-rounded game plan and also be better defensively. And if I was going to pick him against Dan Ige, would I pick uh, Diego Lopez against, against Dan Ige? I think at this point in their careers, I would probably favor Lopez. But, you know, we don't know much yet. But based off what we've seen so far in the UFC, he performed extremely well against one of the top ranked contenders in that division who just has had a little bit of a hard time finding a fight. But almost finishing him, catching him in dangerous spots, landing a big right hand, landing good low kicks. Like I said, I think the more dangerous fighter is Diego Lopez. The fighter with the higher finishing upside is Lopez. The fighter who's been more active is Diego Lopez. And, you know, a lot of the times you don't want to favor inactivity. And I think Lopez is a good shot. But something's telling me to side with Gavin Tucker here. I've always been a fan of his. I've been a fan of his overall well-rounded game. I've been a fan of his technical ability. I've been a fan of his overall footwork. And I think he has the higher fight IQ and knows when to attack certain aspects of the MMA game, knows when to grapple, knows when to strike, knows when to back up, knows when to step into range. He's very smart and he's a very knowledgeable fighter. I know he's older and you don't usually want to side with the older fighter. And the smart pick here is Lopez. I'm going to be honest. And going into this originally, I was going to side with Lopez, but something kept telling me that I think Gavin Tucker's going to get this one done. I think he gets it done on the scorecards. I know so many people are going to be on Diego Lopez because of his performance against Evloev. You know, I know that that's going to happen, but nobody was on him except me. I actually bet on Lopez by submission in that fight against Evloev, and I almost cashed it. It was like plus 700 him on the money line. Probably like plus a thousand for him to get the sub. And I did bet on him because he's a dangerous guy. And I think, like I said, he has the higher finishing upside. But I think the overall more well rounded fighter, the smarter fighter, the fighter with the higher fight IQ is Gavin Tucker. And I'm going to side with him. I know he's been inactive. I know this probably isn't the most popular pick, but I'm going with the governor. I'm going to go with Gavin the governor Tucker to defeat Diego Lopez in his UFC return via a 29 28 unanimous decision Um, when you look at the odds for this fight I think it's around a minus 170 for Lopez somewhere around there Uh, yeah minus 175 for Lopez plus 145 for Gavin Tucker Um, I'm gonna side with the plus 145 dog Um, I think the over two and a half is probably a smart bet if you're on the Tucker side the under is a smart bet if you're on the side of Lopez Um, but yeah I don't know something's just telling me from what I've seen on tape at least the more technical fighter, the more well-rounded fighter, the fighter with the better technical skills is Gavin Tucker. And although the finishing upside's on Lopez, I'm going to go with the overall more well-rounded fighter in my opinion. So give me Gavin the Govna Tucker to win via 29-28 unanimous decision as the plus 145 underdog. All right, up next we move to a battle in the UFC's light heavyweight division between top 15 ranked contender in Dustin. The Hanyak, Jacoby, taking on Kennedy and Chukwu, or Kennedy and Shekwazoo. Uh, this is a really interesting matchup. I think that when you look at this and break it down, you're going to say, well, the more technical striker is Dustin Jacoby. The guy with the better footwork, the guy with the better movement, the guy with the better ability to pick his shots is going to be Dustin Jacoby. He can out-kickbox a lot of people in this light heavyweight division. He fought Alex Pereira back in the glory days. In glory kickboxing and lost via a vicious left hook knockout. But that was Alex Pereira. Kennedy and Shukwu is going to be at a technical disadvantage here, but I would say he's at a somewhat higher finishing upside than Jacoby. If Jacoby wins fights, he can knock people out. And the one common opponent you can say between these two would be uh, Daung Jung. And Daung Jung got knocked out with a beautiful 1 2 down the middle from Dustin Jacoby, which really knocked him out with that right hand and he hit the ground and then woke back up. And then Kennedy and Chukwu got knocked out in the first round after getting hit with a vicious elbow and then a barrage of elbows up against the cage that put him away. I feel like Kennedy and Shekwazu or Kennedy and Chukwu is a fighter who is very hard to get a read on in a lot of his fights. But the one thing we know is that he can take a lot of damage and still find ways to come back and win fights. He usually isn't going to win the first round of any of his fights. And Chukwu is the perfect example of a live betting opportunity for a fighter. If you expect him to win, don't bet on him until after the first round. Because for the most part, he's going to lose the first round. Just look at his fight with Carlos Ulberg. Ulberg was beating him from pillar to post. Big head kicks, crosses into head kicks, uh, body kicks, spinning kicks, punches down the middle. Rocked him multiple times, dropped him. He came back and he knocked out. Carlos Ulberg by being able to stay in the fire, come back, and land big shots that hurt the opponent. But he's also been knocked out early, like in the fight with Daong Jung, and Dustin Jacoby knocked out Daong Jung. Um, I believe Kennedy and Chuku actually fought Devin Clark as well. That is another common opponent. Let's see. I'm going to look that up real quick. in the Sorry, this computer sometimes just doesn't want to cooperate. Let's see. Uh... Hold on, Dustin Jacoby. Oh my God! All right, sorry guys, just give me a second. Uh, Kennedy. I'll look up Dustin Jacoby. We'll go back. 2022, lost to Khalil Roundtree, knocked out Down Jung, mocked, knocked out uh, Mihao Oleg or I'm not sorry, not knocked out, but won a decision, John Allen, Darren Stewart, Iwan Kutelaba, knocked out Justin Ledet. Yeah, okay, so he hasn't fought him. But, you know, common opponent Daung Jung. Daung Jung knocked out Kennedy and Chukwu after hurting him with an elbow and then landing some more elbows up against the cage. Dustin Jacoby knocked out Daung Jung. Um, you know, he lost to Iwan Kutelaba. Dustin Jacoby lost early to Iwan Kutelaba, got out-wrestled, got out-grappled, controlled against the cage, but then allowed, it. you know, Kutelaba to slow down, come back, win the third round big, but it went to a draw because it was pretty much round two and round three Went to Jacoby, but round one was a 10-8 for Iwan Laba. But this is a fighter in Kennedy and Chukwu who will come out hard sometimes, but for the most part, he's more than likely going to drop that first round. That's just the type of fighter that inchuku is. He gets better the longer the fight goes. Jacoby's a point fighter. If this is a point fighting style of fight, Jacoby's going to win that 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10 times. Picking him apart, switching stances, changing stances, 1-2, inside low kick, outside low kick, Jab, jab, switch stance, inside, low kick, jab, right hand, left hook, right, low kick, one, two, switch stance, land the straight left hand. Uh, if he can pick him apart and stay at range and make it a technical kickboxing fight, then Dustin Jacoby's going to win. But if Jacoby starts to slow down and Kennedy and Chekwazoo or Kennedy and Chukwu is able to Get in the face of Jacoby, get in the clinch, land elbows, land knees, um, uppercuts from inside the clinch, dirty boxing. Um, He's going to dominate Jacoby in the clinch. I think he really beats him up if he gets him up against the cage. He's got decent takedown defense. He's got decent wrestling. He has a really good front choke. If he's able to catch your neck and you shoot a sloppy takedown, even if he hurts you on the feet and he rocks you up against the cage, he can grab your neck and choke you just like he did against Devin Clark. So... Looking at this fight, I think it's a it's a factor of do you favor it to be a technical point-fighting style of kickboxing match where more than likely Dustin Jacoby is going to win, or do you favor it to be a drag-out, back-and-forth brawl where whoever has the higher finishing upside, whoever has the more determination to win the fight is going to win. And in that case, if it's a drawn-out, messy, in-your-face brawl, dirty boxing style of fight— I favor that to go to Kennedy and Wazoo every single time. But if it's a technical kickboxing matchup where it's a point-fighting style of fight, I favor that 100% to go to Jacoby. So it really depends on what type of fight you're expecting to see. Um, I worry a little bit about the durability of Dustin Jacoby at this point. If you look at his fight against Azamat Merzikhanov, he was getting dropped every time Merzikhanov really landed a big shot on him. But he was winning the fight on points, but the bigger moments and the bigger Moments in terms of the drops, knockdowns, and things like that all came from the side of Azamat Merzikanov, even though he lost the third round, got tired, and then Jacoby was able to out-wrestle him, control him, push him against the cage. Jacoby has decent takedowns and decent cage wrestling, but I don't think he's going to be able to hold a guy like... Kennedy and Chukwu up against the cage. I don't think he's going to be able to use cage wrestling. I don't think he's going to be able to resort to his wrestling. I think if anybody uses wrestling, takedowns, grappling submission attempts and things like that, it's going to be Kennedy and Chekwu. or Kennedy and Chukwu. I've said his name like six different times already. Um, and the fact that Dustin Jacoby only has a 25% takedown accuracy, um, and he defends 60% of the takedowns, while Nchukwu defends 80% of the takedowns. So you do have to take that into consideration. Um, significant strikes landed per minute. It's pretty close. 5.44 for Jacoby, 4.89 for Kennedy. and Chukuo 47% accuracy for Jacoby, 46% for Kennedy. 4.03 absorbed per minute for Jacoby, 423 for Kennedy and Chukwu. Defense, 58% on the side of Jacoby, 51% for uh, Chukwu. And Chukwu is, is, like I said, not going to win a technique-for-technique technical kickboxing fight with a guy like Jacoby. But if you look at the Carlos Ulberg fight, I would say Ulberg has... He's faster with his combinations. He has more power, in my opinion, and he's the cleaner kickboxer. And Kennedy was getting picked apart. He was getting beat up from pillar to post, but he found a way to come back, get into a phone booth brawl, and win that fight. And the one thing I do like is that both of these guys will listen to their coaches. If they're down on the rounds, Dustin Jacoby will listen to his to Mark Montoya and resort to what he needs to to win the fight. And on Enchukwu's side, he's very close with Fortis MMA's Safe Sayud. Where he will could be down, be losing, and safe side will tell him exactly what he needs to do, and he'll go and do it. And that's why I think this fight is so hard to bet on, because it depends on what kind of fight we have. If it's at distance, at kickboxing range, and it's back-and-forth point-fighting style of kickboxing, well, Jacoby's going to win that fight against most light heavyweights. But if you look at the fight with Khalil Roundtree, he lost that fight via decision, but a lot of people believe that it was a pretty clear decision win for Jacoby because he outpointed him, he landed the better counters, landed the better combinations, and was better defensively and wasn't getting hit by the big power of Khalil Roundtree. So on that case, do do you compare round Roundtree, and Inchuku style. I don't because even though they're both very powerful strikers, Inchuku I would say, isn't as technical as Khalil, but he can get in your face and he can push a higher pace than Khalil can over 15 minutes. And I really think if you're siding with Kennedy, you would say probably like a round three finish via submission or a TKO where he just is able to drown Jacoby under the pressure and finish him. And if you favor the fight to go to a decision, you probably would favor Jacoby to win that on a you know, pick him apart, technical kickboxing fight, um, back and forth where he just scores the cleaner shots over 15 minutes and is better defensively and offensively. I, like I said, if I think, I think if it goes to the grappling, I would more side with Kennedy to be able to out grapple Jacoby, lock up a submission. If Jacoby shoots a bad takedown, he can grab his neck and lock up a sub. Um, I think it's a very close fight, but when it comes to a breakdown and a prediction, I think this is a fight you don't bet on, but the winner of this fight, man. I mean, honestly, I'm going to side with Kennedy and Chuku, man. I think that he's going to be able to make this a phone booth war. I think he's going to be able to land on the chin of Jacoby uh, late in the second, in the third round, and hurt him. And I actually think Kennedy is going to win this fight via a— uh, I could see a submission, to be honest, but I'll go with a TKO— I'm going to go Kennedy and Chukwu to defeat Dustin Jacoby via third round TKO. I just think he can push the higher pace. He listens to his coaches a little bit more, in my opinion. Um, I think he can close that distance and make Jacoby have a harder fight. And I think the more durable fighter is Kennedy. But at the same time, you can't totally say that because Jacoby knocked out Dong Jung and not Dong Jung landed a barrage of elbows in the first round and knocked out in Chukwu. But it's a very close fight. But overall, I favor and Chuku's determination, his pressure fighting, his phone booth, dirty boxing, his clinch work, and um, his overall submission game, if Jacoby tends to get hurt or shoot a bad takedown, he can rack up, wrap up the neck, so I'm actually going to switch it. I'm going to go with Kennedy and Chuku via third-round submission. I think he's going to grab the neck of Jacoby after he hurts him on the feet and kind of uh, overwhelms him. He shoots a bad shot, and Kennedy and Chuku wraps up the neck and gets a third-round ninja choke. So give me Kennedy and Chuku. Via third-round ninja choke over Dustin Jacoby as the minus 140 favorite. All right, now we move to the co-main event of the evening in the women's strawweight division. A women's fighter who is probably the most active women's fighter on the entire UFC roster, former flyweight, former bantamweight, former strawweight champion, now back at the strawweight division, Coming off that loss via submission to Aaron Blanchfield, but before that, she had a standing arm triangle choke submission over Amanda Lemos, who actually is going to be fighting Zhang Li for the title at UFC 292. That is the number five-ranked women's strawweight in Jessica Bate Estaca, the pile driver. Andrade going up against the number 10-ranked grappling and wrestling standout in the female Khabib, Tatiana Suarez. Um, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to keep this breakdown pretty, you know, short and sweet. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here. If the fight stays in the striking Andraj is going to beat the shit out of Tatiana Suarez. She's going to land the bigger shots. She's going to outbox her. She's going to work the body, work up top to the head and probably get her out of there. But I don't see that happening. I think Tatiana Suarez closes that distance, closes that range. And even though she was gone for a really long time with, an illness that she was dealing with, and finally she feels healthy and ready to go. Um, I just think that Jessica Andrade has struggled with fighters who can get her to the ground, out-grapple her, and either TKO her or submit her. Aaron Blanchfield outstruck her on the feet, which not a lot of people were expecting, and then got the takedown, got her back, and choked her out. The minute that fight hit the ground, it was over. Valentina Shevchenko outstruck her, but for the most part, she took the path of least resistance. Take her down. Control from the top, get in the crucifix, ground and pound. Um, Rose Namajunas got constant takedowns, but also outstruck her on the feet in the second fight, uh, not so much the first fight. But we've seen glaring holes in the grappling jiu-jitsu submission and wrestle- Excuse me, wrestling defense of Andrade. Andrade is going to be the stronger fighter, but I think she's the stronger fighter in terms of a boxing sense, if Tatiana Suarez gets in in the clinch, you know, shoots a takedown, shoots a double, shoots a single, chain wrestles with Andrade. She's going to get her to the floor. And I think she's going to take the back of Andrade, flatten her out, ground and pound her, and eventually lock up a rear naked choke submission. And I think she does it in the first round. I don't think this fight goes long. If the fight stays on the feet, like I said, I definitely think Andrade is the better striker. She's far more dangerous on the feet. She has a lot more power than a girl like Tatiana. But Tatiana is so well-rounded in the grappling, in the wrestling. She is so strong. Once she gets those takedowns, once she gets in on your hips, once she's able to ground upon you, control you, get you with the Dagestani handcuff, get you in the triangle leg mount, get to the mount, flatten you out, take your back, she's going to beat Jessica Andrade if it gets to the floor. And I don't see a way this fight doesn't go to the canvas unless Andrade catches Suarez cold in the first round with a big shot early and is stopped and stops her from getting a takedown. Even if she hurts Tatiana, I still think Tatiana's going to get in on those hips. She's going to get to the body lock. She's going to inside or outside trip Andrade, control from the, the top position, get to side control, get to the full mount, land some ground and pound. Andraj is going to spin and give up her back. Suarez is going to land more hammer fist, ground and pound, allow her to expose her neck and get a rear naked choke submission. So my pick is going to be the undefeated fighter in Tatiana Suarez, the female Khabib, to get the biggest win of her UFC career, via a first-round rear naked choke submission club and sub for Tatiana Suarez over the former strawweight champion in Jessica Andrade. This is an interesting fight. This is a fight that Andrade can definitely win if she keeps it on the feet, but if doesn't always make it when it comes to breaking down fights, and I don't see her being able to thwart off the wrestling for long enough to be able to land a big shot on Tatiana Suarez. Andrade could probably wrap up her neck. If she shoots a bad shot, she can grab her neck in a guillotine. Um, I definitely think that that's possible because she's so strong, but aside from a a takedown attempt defended in a guillotine or a big shot on the feet early before Suarez is able to get in on the takedowns, I think it's a one-way traffic wrestling and grappling clinic that leads to a club and sub rear naked choke finish in round one for Tatiana Suarez. So give me Tatiana Suarez to defeat the former women's strawweight champion, Jessica Andrade, via first round rear naked choke submission. When it comes to betting, um, Suarez is such a big favorite. I would just take Suarez inside the distance. I think it's at minus 150 right now for a TKO or submission, and I expect her to finish Andrade um, inside the distance. I don't think it goes to decision. I think it's either a TKO from ground and pound or a submission because Andrade will give up if you force her to really go through adversity on the mat. She doesn't really have the defense. She doesn't have the... The knowledge on the mat except for when she's in control and is able to you know overpower opponents in that grappling realm or the striking and I think she can outpower in the striking but before she knows that she's going to be put on her ass and she's going to give up her back and get subbed so give me Tatiana Suarez by rear naked choke in round one best bet Suarez inside the distance at a minus 150. All right, and now we get to the main event of the evening in the UFC's Bantamweight Division five rounds between top ten ranked contenders. It's going to be at a catch weight of 140 pounds. You've got a battle between the number four ranked Corey, the Sandman Sandhagen coming off of that masterclass performance in the main event, decision win against Marlon Chito Vera going up against another man coming off a huge win over the fighter who was undefeated in the UFC and had a ton of hype around him in Adrian Yanez via first-round knockout in number 7-ranked New England Cartel member and standout boxer in Rob Font. Font versus Sandhagen is one of the best fights that could be made in this bantamweight division, and technically this isn't a bantamweight fight because it is taking place at a catchweight. You know, it's probably, I think it's 140 pounds if, if I'm not mistaken, uh I mean it says 135 because that's their normal weight class, but I think it's gonna be up around five pounds and you're gonna be getting it at 140. I'm really excited to break this fight down because I see a lot of people counting out font and they have reason to. I think they definitely have reason to in, in terms of who has the more well-rounded skill set. The more well-rounded fighter is the Sandman, Corey Sandhagen, and judging off the fact that we saw him resort to takedowns, grappling, top control, and ground and pound in the fight against Marlon Vera and landing vicious ground and pound, I think this is probably the most well-rounded version of Sandhagen that we've ever seen in his career. But on the feet, he's no picnic either. He loves to switch stances effortlessly between orthodox and southpaw. Kind of like Ignacio Bajamondes, like we talked about earlier, um, but he's he's pretty much a, a new and improved version of a TJ Dillashaw. Now, I know Dillashaw won that fight via decision, but it was a very close fight and a fight where I feel like Corey Sandhagen could have got the nod because even though Dillashaw won on the scorecards he won with, allowing Corey to give up his back and taking control when Corey would go for bad spinning attacks or giving up his back. Um, he lost to Aljamain Sterling via rear naked choke in the first round back at UFC. I think it was UFC 250, if, I want, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but, but since then, I mean, the guy doesn't lose very much. And he lost to Piotr Jan in a back-and-forth fight, but one where Jan dropped him multiple times. And, you know, we knew that Corey wasn't going to come out on the winning end of that decision. But in this fight, like I said, the more well-rounded fighter, the fighter with more weapons is going to be Corey Sandhagen. But the defensively um, better fighter, in my opinion, I feel like is Rob Font in terms of traditional defense. I would say with footwork, movement, stance changes, uh, lateral movement, angle shifts, uh, shifting mid-combination. That's all going to be Corey Sandhagen. I mean, he'll he'll move in orthodox. He'll Double jab. He'll throw the straight right hand twice to switch to southpaw and throw a left body kick like he did against Marlon Marais. Um, He can throw spinning wheel kicks. He can throw flying knees like he threw against Marlon Marais. He can get caught in submissions. He can get hit on the feet. And I think the uh, t- the type of fighter that is going to be able to beat a guy like San Hagen is two different guys. It's either going to be a very heavy, grappling heavy, wrestling heavy, top control, ground and pound style of fighter, like an Eljamine Sterling, like an Umar Nurmagomedov, even though we see him more than likely keep it on the feet and the striking, and that was going to be a you know a great fight because that was the original main event. But you know that's not happening. Umar got injured. But a guy like Umar, a guy like Sterling, who can out wrestle, out grapple, um, control, take him down. Um, I think that's one aspect of fighter who can beat him. And I also think another fighter who can beat a guy like Corey is somebody who has picture perfect basics and sticks to the basics who might be able to catch him in between those stance changes, who might be able to catch that hands low style, the hands down, the, the leaning forward, the stance shifting, the straight left switch to Southpaw back to Orthodox double jab, right hand, like in between those lateral movement stance changes in between the switches from Orthodox to Southpaw, somebody who's going to keep him honest with good Powerful and technical basics is a guy who can beat a guy like Corey Sandhagen. Now, is that going to be Rob Font? Well, I haven't gotten to my prediction yet, but I see way too many people writing off Font in this fight. And it's because of the fact that his basics are so good that I don't think you can write a guy like Font off. Does he get taken down? Yes, but he has decent defense off of his back as well. I mean, if you go back and watch the fight against Cody Garbrandt, he gave up takedowns, but he was very good at working his way back up to the feet. He was very good at using sweeps, and he was very good at using that Kimura sweep to stand up. He would Kimura sweep or um, one-half butterfly guard Kimura kick off and then rotate um, and then get back up to his feet. He has good front kicks up the middle. Um, he stance changes between orthodox and southpaw. He'll throw that front kick, straight left hand, right uppercut. He'll stance change with the uppercuts. He'll go front kicks, switch from orthodox to southpaw with that right uppercut, left hook, and a head kick. Um, right uppercut, right hook, left head kick like he caught Thomas Almeida with. Um, he's a very tricky fighter in his own right, but the biggest weapon for Font is going to be to implement that jab and keep a guy like Sandhagen. You know, honest. Keep him behind the jab. Keep it in his face, and land the sharper, cleaner boxing combinations. The better kicker is Corey Sandhagen. The better wrestler, I feel like, is Corey Sandhagen. The better defensive fighter in terms of footwork is Sandhagen. The better defensive fighter in terms of high guarding and counters, I feel like, is Rob Font, and I think Font can take advantage of that. And I know he's been hurt in multiple fights, but you go back and watch the Marlon Chito Vera fight. The only reason he lost that fight was because Marlon Vera had the bigger moments. He was catching him with big shots. He caught him with a side kick to the jaw and dropped him. He caught him with a knee off a level change and hurt him. He caught him with a big shot on the feet and dropped him multiple times. The only reason he won that fight was because he landed the bigger shots. He hurt Rob Font more, but if it was overall on volume, if it was overall on who landed the better combinations, who landed more strikes, who had more volume, that was all Rob Font. He beat a guy like Cody Garbrand, who's a very good technical boxer, a very, a very fast fighter, and he outstruck him. He got taken down. He got out-wrestled, but he worked his way back up to the feet, he used the Kimura sweep to work his way back up and stand back into the center of the cage. Um, he beat a guy like Yanez. Yanez landed some good shots too. The left hook to the right hand, the double jab right hand. But the jab of Font, the timing of the jab, and I think the biggest difference in this fight is going to be the timing of of the jab and the boxing combinations of Font, because I feel like anybody who can take advantage of a Sandhagen, like we said, it's either a heavy wrestler, a heavy grappler with good top control who can take advantage when Corey does those spinning techniques, when Corey gives up his back, and you know get those takedowns, or a guy who has very crisp, clean basics and is just going to stick to the basics, stick to the game plan, and try to find his openings. And I think that's a guy like Font. Font has a lot of volume. He has a lot of strikes. If it stays at a kicking range, that's Corey Sanhagen's fight. He's never going to lose a fight against Font at a kicking range. But if it stays in boxing range or just in that mid-range, I think Font can give Corey some trouble. And I think if that jab gets going early, if the jab gets going often, then I think Font might be able to box up Corey Sanhagen and potentially knock him out. He's been dropped before. He's been rocked. Rob Font has been dropped and rocked in multiple fights as well. So Font doesn't have the best chin ever. And if he hits him with a spinning wheel kick, if he hits him with a head kick, if he hits him with a flying knee, um, I think he can knock Rob Font out. But Font also has never been finished. He's been dropped. He's been hurt. But he's never been fully taken out. And even when he's hurt, even when he's rocked, he's still back in your face, putting on the pressure, getting on the volume, even in the Jose Aldo fight. Um, he won every single minute of every round until Aldo landed that 1-2 down the middle and hurt him and won the round on the bigger moments. The fighter with the bigger moments in this fight is going to be Sandhagen, So on that case, you might want to side with Sanhagen from the betting perspective. But I also think these odds are a little bit disrespectful. I, I don't see anywhere, you know, minus 265 plus 225. I mean, Rob Font is still a very solid competitor, even though Sandhagen is the much more well-rounded fighter. I still don't love those odds. I think maybe minus 220, minus 200 would be more respectable on the side of the odds. And if you're playing just based on odds and value, I think the side to play is the dog in Rob Font. And when I go into my prediction, this might be a very unpopular pick, but I'm going to side with Rob Font, man. I just feel like his basics his ability to stick to the game plan, his ability to stick behind that jab. I don't see any fighters that Sanhagen has fought who have very good boxing and stick behind a jab. I mean, Marlon Marais is a good striker, but he fades fast. Um, Peter Jan is a good fighter who has good boxing and good combinations, and he dropped Corey. He dropped him with a spinning back fist. He hurt him. He was able to exploit the defensive holes. Now, he changes stances more than Rob. He throws more volume and more dangerous strikes in terms of kicking, but he's a good boxer, and he gave Corey trouble. It was a close fight, but it was clearly on the side of Peter Jan because he had better counters, better counters with the boxing, and better ability to you know, exploit the defensive holes of a guy like Corey. And I think that Rob Font can do that. I think he can, and I think he does. I think he's going to get behind that jab. He might lose the first round. You know, Corey might be piecing him up, but eventually he's going to get that timing, stick that jab, stick that jab, front kick up the middle, jab, jab, one, two, three, jab, right uppercut, left head kick, jab, right uppercut, right hook, straight left, one, one, two, one, two, three, rear uppercut, one, two, three, right uppercut. He loves that combination, jab, cross hook, measure, uppercut, Jab, measure, uppercut, switch stance, straight left, left head kick. I think that jab's going to get working in the second and the third round, and eventually he's going to get that boxing working. He's going to land the better combinations. He's going to be popping Corey's head back. He's going to hurt him. He's going to exploit the defense, and in one of the mid-shifts of Corey Sanhagen between Orthodox and Southpaw, he's going to time that left hook into the right hand drop Corey Sandhagen and get a TKO finish as the plus 225 underdog. I'm going with the underdog, baby. Give me the number seven ranked Rob Font, New England cartel member in Rob Font, to get back-to-back huge wins and defeat Corey the Sandman Sandhagen via a late third round TKO after dropping him with a left hook right hand when his hands are down. I just think he can exploit the defensive holes, and he is the much better fundamental fighter. So give me Rob Font to defeat Corey Sandhagen via late third round TKO as the plus 225 dog. All right, that's it for my UFC Nashville UFC Fight Night Sandhagen versus Font preview, predictions, and breakdown. You can get this podcast anywhere you get your audio podcasts. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, Stitcher, and many, many more. I'll have this podcast uploaded with edits and background music and some few things tossed in there on my YouTube channel, which is the same name as the podcast, in the Touch Em Up podcast, which is almost at 3,000 subscribers. I'm your host, Double M, and I'm out. Enjoy the fights this weekend, and let's make some money, baby.